So again, the title of today's talk would be, What Makes Jesus Unique? We've established that Jesus Christ is Lord, He's Ruler, He's Master. In these 66 books that I hold in my hand that we call the canonized scripture, the Word of God, made the observation last week that in the Old Testament, those 39 books, Jesus is concealed. But in the New Testament, Jesus is revealed. All 66 books point us to the person of Jesus Christ. In Genesis, he's the breath of life. Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. Leviticus, he's our high priest. Numbers, the fire by night. Deuteronomy, he is Moses' voice. Joshua, he's salvation's choice. Judges, he's the lawgiver. In Ruth, he's the kinsman redeemer. First and second Samuel, he's the trusted prophet. In Kings and Chronicles, he's sovereign God. Ezra, he's the true and faithful scribe. Nehemiah, he is the rebuilder of broken walls and broken lives. In Esther, he's Mordecai's courage. In Job, he's the timeless redeemer. In Psalms, he's our morning song. And in Proverbs, he's wisdom's cry. Ecclesiastes, the time and season. And in the song of Solomon, he is the lover's dream. In Isaiah, he's the prince of peace. Jeremiah, he's the weeping prophet. Lamentations, he's crying out for Israel. Ezekiel, he is the call from sin. And in Daniel, he's the stranger in the fire. In Hosea, he's forever faithful. In Joel, he's the spirit's power. In Amos, he's the arms that carry us. Obadiah, he's the Lord, our Savior. In Jonah, he's the great missionary. In Micah, he's the promise of peace. Nahum, he is the strength and our shield. Habakkuk and Zephaniah, he pleads for revival. In Haggai, he restores a lost heritage. In Zechariah, he is our fountain of life. And in Malachi, he is the son of righteousness with healing in his wings. Jesus Christ is the great I am. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he is God. He is man. He is Messiah. In the book of Acts, he is the fire from heaven. In Romans, he's the grace of God. In First and Second Corinthians, he's the power of love. And in Galatians, he is the freedom from the curse of sin. Ephesians, he's the glorious treasure. Philippians, the servant's heart. Colossians, he's the Godhead Trinity. In First and Second Thessalonians, he's our coming king. And in Timothy, Titus, and Philemon, he is the faithful pastor. In Hebrews, he's the everlasting covenant. James, he's the one that heals the sick. First and second Peter, he is the great shepherd. In John and Jude, he is the lover coming for his bride. And in the book of Revelation, he's king of kings and he's lord of lords. I declare to you today the supremacy of Jesus Christ the Lord. He's revealed throughout the pages of Scripture. And as we study and meditate and contemplate on his word, the power of Christ continues to leak and penetrate our hearts. People oftentimes look at me and say, Tim, I don't know where to start reading. There's not a bad place. There's not a bad place because the sovereignty and the deity and the lordship of Jesus is there. So today I declare to you what makes him unique and what separates him from all other religious leaders. In a 
Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. I want to go back to that. I want you to hear it, and I want you to understand, again, the, the incredible responsibility that we have as pastors and teachers, and it says this. Our pastors and our teachers are responsible to equip us. Now, now hear me. Not entertain, not just to bring deeper enlightenment. The pastor and teacher is to equip us as God's people. Why? So that we will be about building up the church, which is the body of Christ, so that we will mature and grow up in Jesus. So responsibility is to equip you so that you can go out into the world 24-7 as you live and be a part of building up the church, the ecclesia, to see those come to know Jesus Christ. Today, I want to give, give to you five things that are unique about Jesus and no other religious leader or religious system can boast about. These five things, and there, I could go more, but I want to give you these five, separate Jesus and give him exclusivity in the midst of this pluralistic society and polytheistic world in which we live. So in your bulletin, now jog with me. Number one, Jesus Christ predates time. Jesus existed before there was existence as we know it. Jesus Christ predates time. God the Son, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit, God in three, the three, God in three in one person, blessed Trinity, has always existed. Now, now get this. This is fundamental on our belief system. No other religious leader can boast that he existed before there was time. Now, I have to do this for myself every now and then just to, to stay fresh with it. But when I say that God in Christ didn't start when start got started, that he started start, it's not just a fancy phrase to use. It is absolutely crucial for our theology. For me to say that Jesus didn't begin when the beginning began, but he began the beginning, is fundamental for our belief system. Make sense to you? In John chapter 1, when we read it, that in the beginning, now I say Jesus predates time. Time is a human word. Time is not an infinite God-style concept because there is no beginning and end when you deal with God. In the beginning was the Word, the Logos, the one that would become incarnate. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. It goes on to say that he was, Jesus, the incarnate Logos, he was in the beginning with God. What's the beginning? Finite fools like you and I have no comprehension and cannot get our minds around what that even looks like. He goes on to say, he goes on to say, all things, circle that, all, all, all things came into being through him. Through who? It's talking about the Logos, the word of God, Jesus. So all things came into being through him. Genesis 1, 26 and 27, when God says, let us, plural, Trinity, make man in our image. After God had said, let there be light, after God had created the waters and all this stuff, he makes this declaration at the end of that sixth day, let us make man in our image. According to our 
likeness, triune, body, soul, spirit, father, son, spirit, let us make man. Colossians 1, 15 through 17 says this. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him... All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things are held together. This is crazy. Not another religious leader, a religious system, claims that their leader existed before there was time. This separates Jesus. You go back and look. Even evangelicals and Christ followers, we never sit around and go, now exactly what year and what day was Jesus born? None of us can answer that. Well, when did he die? He didn't. He defeated death, hell, and the grave. There's no tombstone in Jerusalem that marks the place where he's at. He is God. You go back and look, and it's like Buddha was born in 560 B.C. He died in 480 B.C. Confucius, born 551, died uh, 479 B.C. Muhammad, Islam, that great founder for them, born 570 A.D., died 632. Why do we call it B.C.? Why do we call it before Christ? It shouldn't be worded that way. He's always existed, Loganville. It can be called before incarnation. It can be called before deity puts on a robe of flesh. But I declare to you today what separates Jesus from all other religious leaders. One is that he predates time. No other religious leader can make that claim. Number two, Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. This is heavy theology, but it is absolutely crucial to our belief system, and I'll tell you why. He entered the world in a unique way. When he was born, the physical manifestation of Jesus Christ was different than any other person that had ever, ever, ever been born. He says, uh, the scripture says in Matthew chapter 1, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived inside of her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to call his name Jesus. It will be he who will save his people from their sin. Joe, look at me. What has happened is miraculous. It's supernatural, not natural. It's theological, not just logical. Now, Joe, don't be afraid To marry her because what she's got inside of her is God. Now, she's got God inside of her. Mary would go on to say in Luke chapter 1, how can this be since I'm a virgin? I've never been violated. I've never had relations. How am I going to have a baby? It's absolutely phenomenal. When you look at Romans chapter 5, verse 12, I want you to get this. It says, wherefore by one man sin entered into the world, Adam. Go back to Genesis. Hey, God puts Adam and Eve in the garden. It says, hey, you can eat off of any tree in the garden. Stay away from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The day you eat off that tree, it's going to be called sin. It's disobedience willfully, and you will die. 
Romans 5, 12. Wherefore, by one man, Adam's sin, death came into the world and spread to all men as a result of that sin. And he says, all have sinned. When you and I were born into the world, we were born with what is called the Adamic nature. Adam's nature. You and I all originated from Adam's seed. Just look at somebody sitting next to you and say, hey, we're not that far separated from where we've come from. Don't get incestual on me, but hey, here's what I'm saying. Adam's seed with Eve, all of a sudden you now have Cain and Abel, and all of humanity starts to be birthed as a result of it. Every person ever born was born into the world Minus Jesus with a sin nature. The very nature of who we are is corrupt. Ephesians 2 said we were born into the world, dead into our sins and our trespasses and our iniquity. That's just how we were born into the world. Minus Jesus. That's the reason when you start to study these other religious leaders, whether again it be Muhammad or it be Confucius or it be Buddha, even the great Old Testament prophet Moses... Or when you start to look at the life of, of, of Charles Taze Russell and Joseph Smith, the Mormons and JWs, when you look, all of these came from a corrupt, infected bloodline. But Jesus didn't. Jesus didn't. I heard a guy say years ago, when he was a young boy, somebody looked at him one day and said, hey, son, what's your name? He said, well, on my mama's side, my name's Jesus, but on my daddy's side, my name's Emmanuel. He's like, boy, how old are you? He said, on my mama's side, I'm 12, but on my daddy's side, I've just always been. He said, boy, where, where, where do you live? Well, on my mama's side, I, I live in Bethlehem, but on my daddy's side, I live from everlasting to everlasting. Well, what's your purpose and plan for life, son? He said, on my mama's side, it's to die on a cross. But on my father's side, it's to be raised on the third day and seated at his right hand. How could he do it? Because he's God. And one of the unique claims that Jesus has that no other religious founder, religious leader can make is, I predate time, but I was born of a virgin, no infected, diseased, sinful bloodline entered into me. Third thing that separates Jesus is this. He's the only one who can make the, the declaration that he lived a pure life, perfect, sinless life. It, it says that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, the glorious standard of Jesus Christ. Now, Many of the world's religious systems teach some type of morality and, and, and somewhat standard, if you will. Even when you go back and look at Buddha, he taught the eightfold path as a way to wisdom. Moses came with the Ten Commandments and the law. The Mormons, Joseph Smith, look at their diet. No caffeine. I mean, very moral style people. But no other religion points to their leader and says, our leader was flawless. Our leader was perfect. Our leader was without sin. We don't have a sacrificial leader that went to the cross on our behalf who was infected and diseased. Jesus is different. P. 
people will look at me and, and, and they will say sometimes, man, as I share the gospel with other people, what is a linchpin? Virgin birth. Perfect life. I've got a buddy that came to faith about two years ago. We were talking after the first service. He comes from a Muslim family. And he was sharing with me that he's, he's been dialoguing with family members that are still Muslim about his faith. I talked to him Wednesday as I drove here, and I said, don't, don't go there yet. Wait, wait, wait. Because what we're going to talk about this Sunday is the supremacy of Christ and who he is. And we're not going to attack them. We're going to elevate who Jesus is and what separates him and makes him unique. Make sense to you? Hebrews chapter 4 says this. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have a high priest who was tempted in all areas just like you and I, yet without sin. We've got a high priest who was tempted, who was lured, just like you and I, yet without sin. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says this, for God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. God took him who knew no sin, who had never sinned, who was perfect, and he sacrificed his son and allowed the sin of all humanity to fall on him so that now when God looks at me, he looks at me as righteous. Tim Cash, you're righteous. Because of the blood of my son and because of the perfection of what he did, you're righteous. So three things. He predates time. He was virgin born. When you start to look at him, he is the only religious leader. And I don't even like using the word religion because religion means to return to bondage. He is the only leader that lived a perfect life with ever. Outstanding. Fourth thing is huge. Jesus made atonement for the sins of all humanity. Jesus Christ made atonement. Now, again, Muhammad taught that to receive forgiveness, you need to sincerely ask Allah, and he might give it to you. Buddha taught that sins can't really be forgiven, that the only thing you can do is confront the desires of the flesh and hopefully move to deeper enlightenment. When Jesus comes, what separates him from all others is he offers forgiveness to all once and for all. Jews, Greeks, Gentiles, black, white, whatever color mix we've got, he says, here is where you're going to find forgiveness. I had a buddy drive over on Wednesday. Hadn't seen him in probably 10 or 12 years. And we're sitting there talking, and his life has taken some pretty bad twists and turns. And I was talking with this brother, and I said, where are you at in your journey? And he said, I'm still struggling forgiving myself for some of the things I've done, and I'm still struggling forgiving my dad. Well, when he entered his sophomore year in college, he goes to Auburn, and he's involved in athletics there. The first day he was back to school, the head coach called him in and said, I need to share something with you. Sit down. The cops from Sarasota just contacted me. Here's what's happened. Your dad has murdered your mom and has turned the gun on himself. And I remember interacting with this guy about 15 years ago about his story. And, and he was still hurting and struggling. Now, believe me, I think all of us would. 
That's not something you just skip over real quick. But as he looked at me that day, he said, I'm really still struggling forgiving myself for all the jacked up stupid stuff I've done, but I can't forgive my dad. And I said, those will be secondary. And he goes, what do you mean? And I said, when you move to a place where you can receive God's forgiveness, then you will have a chance of extending forgiveness, first to the man in the mirror, and then to others. And I said, God has forgiven you already in Christ, but you have to move to a place where you receive his forgiveness. In the Old Testament, they had the sacrificial system. They would bring that lamb in every year, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. They would kill that lamb. They would take that blood, and that was a blood covering or a blood offering for most sins. But the Bible says in the New Testament, when Jesus came, he became the sacrifice of sin once and for all. That's the reason when John the Baptist saw him and said, there is the Lamb of God that will take away the sin of the world. No other religious leader, no other religious system, no other religious founder at any level can boast that they offer true forgiveness once and for all. If we get this down and go, wow, our God, his unique claim, the person of Jesus, hey, he predates time. He was virgin born. He lived a perfect life. He is the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the entire world. Number five, write this down. It's in your notes, but you may want to take some notes here. Jesus Christ rose from the dead to demonstrate his authority and power once and for all. That separates him. You ask people oftentimes, what is the greatest event to ever take place in the world? Man, maybe the Roman Empire and the rise of it. Maybe World War II. Maybe we landing a, a person on the moon. Or some people even today would be looking going, the Super Bowl is the greatest event. I declare to you the greatest event that ever took place in human history was some 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ defeated death, hell, and the grave and ascended to the right hand of the Father. The resurrection is the door on which Christianity swings. It's the hinge on which it swings. If there be no resurrection, the door does not swing open for us today. When you go back and study Scripture, when you go back and study Scripture, all those great prophets of old, take Daniel, take Jeremiah, take Isaiah. When they died, they stayed in the ground. You look at all the other religious leaders Muhammad, Confucius, Buddha, Joseph Smith, the entire Brigham Young, you call them, when they died, they stayed in the grave. They were done. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that I delivered unto you as of first importance what Christ has also delivered unto me. That Jesus our Savior died on the cross according to the scripture. That he was buried, and on the third day, he was raised again, according to the Scripture. What separates Jesus? No other religious founder leader can boast that he's conquered death, hell, and the grave. One of the greatest fears of humanity is dying. I'm not afraid of being dead. I'm just afraid of getting dead. Anybody like that? I just don't know how that getting dead piece is going to happen. 
But you talk to people, and why do they fear dying? Because all that they know and all that they have believed in comes to an end. But for the believer, if Christ be raised from the dead, our preaching is with power. But if Jesus Christ not be raised from the dead, this is a hoax what we're doing here today. But if he be raised from the dead, we've got the most powerful message to declare to all humanity. We've got something worth talking about today. Even Peter would say this as he interacted with a jailer and all those guys in Acts chapter 4. He goes, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no name under heaven that has been given among men to which we must be saved except Jesus Christ and him alone. There is not another name that you can lean into. There is not another name that gives you credibility when you stand before God. Now, I don't know how this is going to play out, but one day I'm going to stand before God and give an account. And, and if God were to look saying, hey, 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 what qualifies you to hang with me for eternity? I'm going to say, I place my faith in your son. I believe your son is the way, the truth, and the life. I, I believe everyone that comes to him gets to you. I, I believed your son a long time ago when he said, I give eternal life, but I give abundant life now. I tapped into that, and it radically changed my journey. So I'm not here with anything I've done, but man, I really appreciate what your boy did. And he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Why? Because my belief system hinges on one person. Everything I'm about rises and falls on one person, and it's the God-man, Christ Jesus. There's one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. His birth, his life, his death, his resurrection— I'm telling you right now, that's where I'm hinging everything. He is unique. No other compares to him, Nick. No other is like our God. Nobody can compare to him. Now, here's my prayer. Listen to me. My prayer for some of you is you walked in here today. Now, this is better, I told you, than anything that's going to happen, any commercial that you're going to see, any Clydesdale galloping. Come on. What we're talking about here today will be talked about for eternity. What they're doing later on today has got a shelf life to it. Come on. This is what we're talking about. But everything hinges on his life. His death. His resurrection. And my prayer is that you would be strengthened in the claims of his deitic lordship so that when you're walking through life, you go, he's superior. I pray for some of you that this would solidify what you think you believe already and take you deeper. I I pray for many of you sitting here that this would give you more courage to want to go out and share with your family and friends and coworkers the hope that you have. Now, 1 Peter 3, 15, sanctify Christ as Lord in your life. Sanctify. Set Jesus apart as Lord, Master, Ruler, Authority in your life. Always, always, come on, be ready. 
Always be ready. God is teeing up opportunities of conversation for you to talk about something of substance. Always be ready for an apologia, a defense, an answer. Always be ready to share that hope, 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 hope that you have that is in Christ. Now listen, he never says sanctify Christ as Lord in your lives And when you meet a person that believes something different, fight them. Argue with them. Explain to them why they're wrong. Never says that. Sanctify Christ, Lord, in your life. Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. My hope is not based on the polluted systems of other belief systems. My hope is based on Jesus Christ and him alone. Now, let me illustrate it this way, like with a dog. Let's say we're talking about labs. Anybody like dogs? So we got labs. We've got yellow labs, black labs, chocolate labs, and a meth lab dog up here today. Oh, boy, looks rough, don't he? I guarantee you. He ain't got papers on him that are legit. All right, so let's say we're talking about dogs. Let's get rid of that one. But, but, but here's the deal. You, you ever encounter a dog that's got a bone in his mouth? You ever walk over to that dog and he's chewing on that bone and he's got that bone in his mouth? Look at him. He might be sleeping, but he can smell you 50 yards away. And if you come over to a dog with a bone, he's going to growl at you. He's going to show you some teeth, but he's going to bite into that bone at a deeper level. You ever seen that happen? Especially in them Sooners and Mutts where I grew up in Noonan. We didn't have no dogs of pedigree. They were Sooners. Hines 57, soon as one thing is another. When people say, what kind of dog is that? And you you just like, yes. That's what he is. Y'all remember that? I don't even know the first time I met somebody that talked about the pedigree of their dog. And I'm like, really? I didn't know they made dogs that way. Fight that dog over his bone. Try to take that bone away. Try to wrestle it out of his mouth, and you've got a fight. Go to a person who has been marinated in a belief system for a period of time and start telling them why their leader is wrong and their teachings are wrong, and you've got a fight. We're here to share the supremacy of Jesus Christ. How do you get the bone out of the dog's mouth? Let's say I got this bone-in 20-ounce ribeye. Come on, somebody. Now, is this ribeye inferior or superior to what Rover's got in his mouth? Now, all I got to do is say, Rover. (laughs) Rover, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to leave you alone for a little bit. But I'm going to put this plate over here about 10 feet away from you. 
And Rover, when you want to talk to me, me and you will talk, and I'll walk away. You give him a couple of seconds, maybe even a couple of minutes, Rover will drop the bone. Because he's going to go over there and sniff and taste and bite. When he realizes that that is superior to what he has, you ain't got to fight him for a dry bone. When we realize that we're declaring the supremacy of Christ, I'm not going to fight people over the seven sacraments of their belief system. I'm not going to tell them why Joseph Smith was wrong even when he started his movement. All I'm going to march them to is, can I, can I share with you the hope that is within me? Let me go get a 20-ounce bone-in ribeye, bro, and let's me and you talk. Now, if he refuses, that's between him and God. But I'm sharing the hope that I have. I'm not here to attack you. I'm not here to attack you. And even when Jesus came, he shared the hope of glory. He shared the hope of heaven. He shared the Father's love. Close it, close it, close it. Close it. Listen to this. He predates time. No other religious leader makes that claim. He was virgin born. He lived a perfect life. Perfect some of us think, man, I can't even go a day, 33 years and change. Perfect. He offered atonement once and for all, for all humanity. And on that glorious third day, he was raised from the dead, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. I declare to you the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. 